What is up, everybody? I am Chad Brock. And I'm Zach Bailiff. You guys are listening to episode 15 of the Orion Podcast. This is that moment where I realized that <laughs> the button is behind my tablet and I can't get to it. Good. So you're welcome. It's hidden you're for welcome. tonight. So it's out of it's reach. From tonight. We got this <laughs> jumbotron over here. I feel like I'm on the news reading a teleprompter tonight. First time using the tablet to uh, to watch my notes. Well, let's so. just let's just hope nobody Ron Burgundies you, and we'll be good. If anybody Ron Burgundies <laughs> me, it's gonna be my. I've been myself. <laughs> intro <laughs> good night San Diego. oh man i'm so sep Chad september <laughs> so when we come back next the next podcast after this one it's gonna be hunting season are you excited uh yeah i'd be a lot more excited if i was out elk hunting because elk season will be in deer won't be in here until about mid-september um so yeah i'll just be sitting here crying in my you know my water while i sit and watch scroll and look at everybody's elk hitting the hitting the social media feed but no it'll be it'll be good it'll be here before we know it and we'll be out chasing whitetail and i'm ready to go we got so. uh, we got some work to do over labor day so i'll see you soon we'll get uh we'll we'll at least oh, get yeah. out and do some of that uh yeah. fishing wise yeah. there was no fishing this past weekend believe it or not yeah. um weekend I off. took everything apart so rods and reels all came apart, got cleaned up as you've seen in some pictures and yeah. uh, yeah, getting ready for the, uh, the fall swing, big fall line. feed, yeah, big fall feed, new fresh line. Uh, got a couple fresh reels, couple fresh rods on the way. So yeah, I'm excited, excited about that part of the life. Um, it's, the heat's finally breaking. It's, it's going to be good. Yeah. It's a little gear maintenance, you know, late in the summer like that after beating on it all year, it, it is uh, long overdue for that. So, well, and Luckily, if anybody, I'm... if anybody follows me on Instagram, you've probably seen my fun walking through the mud. So you probably know why I had to take all my stuff apart. It was uh, destroyed. <laughs> that was yeah. not a fun day. Um. So anyway, new guest tonight, special guest. Yeah, special. We we are honored to have this guest because our podcast we're is out of our league. We're out of our league tonight. We are very much out of our league tonight, <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna try real hard for all you guys at home. Um, tonight's guest is a member of Team USA. Um, she is well accomplished, achieving two 
world records before the age of 15. Um, I've known of her for quite a while. Um, we worked to, we didn't work together. We was part of the XX2i optics sunglasses team there for a while and Rudy project when they first got going. Um, she, again, she's a U.S. Olympic team member competing in freestyle skiing. Um, she competed in the 2022 uh, Winter Games in Beijing. So it's kind of hard to top this one. I've never been to the Olympics. You've never been to the Olympics. She's, she's, uh, she's much more well-traveled than we are. Very much. Very much. Anyway, <laughs> without further ado, we give you our special guest, Winner Vanaki. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, yeah, thanks thank for being you here. For being here. So that was a weird introduction with no button in the background. I'm going <laughs> to say that here. This is usually how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like they say Jerry, Jerry in the background. Yeah, yeah that, that adds might be. a little bit more hype to it. It adds a little hype and a little yeah. suspense for the people at home. So how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Just busy in the middle of, uh, middle of our training season here in the summer water ramp training. So just chilling for the evening and then getting ready to head back out there in the morning. Right on. I, I do like seeing your Instagram reels of the water training. I feel like that would be an absolute blast. I it really is do. pretty fun. It's definitely um, a nice way to keep cool in the hot summer days. And it allows us to get in a ton of numbers and learn new tricks relatively safely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for what you guys do, you know, without snow year round, it's uh, it's nice to have that option. So you can at least get reps in because, you know, committing all that to muscle memory is a big deal. So. Absolutely. Now, now my real question is if I brought a tractor in or tube out there and, was, <laughs> you know, able, would, would you guys let me inner tube down that thing? You know, they've done a slip and slide off of the jumps before. So maybe oh not probably hit the double or the triple, but you know, you could maybe convince someone to let you hit the single. You <laughs> <laughs> have a good bit of inertia. I'd probably get way out there. Let me um, know so I, I can be on standby with the camera because I want to see that. It would be <laughs> one of the greatest things anybody has ever seen. We would go viral. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's all we need for the Orion podcast. We just—I just need to go do that, and we would go viral. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before we get started here and get into everything with your Olympic experiences and and where you're at right now, um, would you mind taking us back just a little bit and talking to us about where your journey began and how you found your inspiration to become such an accomplished athlete? So I grew up in Northern Michigan. I have three brothers and grew up kind of on a farm. My grandparents have a farm in Michigan, 2000 acres, and we had 200 acres connected to their property. So running around adventuring out in the woods was what we did as a kid and, you know, see who could climb to the top of the tree the quickest and, you know, who could find the biggest carrot out of the field. Like that was our adventures growing up. And my mom was a big athlete. She was a runner and triathlete, got into those sports through um, my uncle. And so I naturally kind of just wanted to try out these things that she was doing. So I got into running from a very young age. I did my first 5K when I was like five and then really liked the longer distances. But there weren't many kids races in northern Michigan. So I ended up doing like a lot of the adult races, then got into like a 10K when I was eight, did my first 10 miler for my 10th birthday. And then which we'll talk about eventually got into half marathons and marathons. Um, but 
in the middle of that too, I got into some triathlons. So I was doing a lot of triathlons and my grandpa was a ski instructor and still is to this day in his eighties at Boyne mountain in Michigan. And so I grew up ski racing in the winter time and doing running triathlons in the summer and pretty much trying every sport in between, um, that. And so I was very active and, um, always just loved trying these different sports, being competitive, racing against the boys, racing against the adults, whoever wanted to race me. Um, and when I was nine though, I kind of shift my focus a little bit and really began using my athletic platform as a way to spread awareness for prostate cancer. My dad was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of prostate cancer on his 40th birthday. And the day he was diagnosed, I knew I wanted to help him and all the men out there affected by prostate cancer. So I formed Team Winter, a nonprofit organization. And to this day, I've helped raise over a half a million dollars for the cause. Um, I continue to spread Team Winter to keep his memory alive and also to hopefully help even just one family from going through what my family went through. And so using my athletics has been a key way for me to be able to not only keep my dad's memory alive, but be able to, you know, really create this platform that I can have a message to spread to people around the world. Wow. That's, uh, That's awesome. that is absolutely incredible. Um, now being, being that young, I mean, you're talking marathons, triathlons, five Ks, 10 Ks. I mean, how, how did you stay so laser focused at that age? Because, you know, having had kids, the distractions and all that is so real. And how did you avoid all those distractions and stay so focused? I think the biggest thing was just doing things that I loved and having fun with it. Like I, like I said, have three brothers. And so we were always challenging each other and just finding out what we like to do. You know, all of us have our different passions and our, our parents really encouraged us to dream big and to go after whatever these passions were. Um, and so mine happened to be the sports and athletics. And so my mom really, you know, pushed me into getting all the opportunities that I could, whether it was racing, you know, maybe driving to some other state on the weekend to be able to get into different races or even just getting me into a different program, whatever it may be. Um, and so she was a huge advocate for myself and my brothers and, and helping us get those chances. And then the rest of it was, kind of just us having fun and, and doing what we loved. Now, what were at that age, what were some of the bigger, I know like seven, you raced, what was it? Seven marathons in seven continents. So what was, what were some of those bigger races that you went to? Yeah. So after my dad passed away, actually the last race he ever saw me finish was an Olympic distance triathlon. And so this oh, wow. was a mile swim, 25 mile bike and 6.2 mile run. And I did this at just eight years old. And at the time, you know, this was a race. And he said, you know, I was too young to do. I should not do it. Like, wait till you're older, all these different things. But I did the race and I finished beating many adults. And that was the last race my dad ever was at the finish line for. So after he passed away, just 10 months after being diagnosed, I was always thinking, of, you know, what could I do bigger and better in his memory? And one day I was looking through a Guinness Book of World Records and came across the youngest person to run a marathon on all seven continents. And I immediately turned to my mom and I was like, I want this record for my dad. Didn't know we'd actually be able to do it. Um, but behind the scenes, my mom started planning. And just a couple of years later, we started this marathon tour. And so we went from Eugene, Oregon. Then we did Kenya. Then wow. um, we traveled to Antarctica. And then we went to Peru, did the toughest marathon in the world, the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. 
then went over to Mongolia, then to New Zealand, and finally finished on the original course of the marathon in Athens, Greece. Wow. That's amazing. That, that that's is... pretty cool. <laughs> it yeah, was you... insane. Uh, you've got me on that one. I, I, yeah, I ran a, we used to do this thing called a bow crazy challenge where Zach like, <laughs> let us run with arrows and stuff. It was like running cross country, <laughs> but you had arrows in a bow and you had to shoot targets. They let me run with sharp objects, which my mom told me not to, but I got to that. <laughs> it's about the furthest. I that sounds before. like a pretty is fun that, race. Is that, yeah, is that, that's the closest you've ever came. I did a, my my uh, sister-in-law was training for the marathon in Nashville a few years back, and I did a, a 10-mile training day with her, and at the time, I was 220 pounds. And my knees were not happy for about a week and a half after that. So knowing how much running you've done over the course of your lifetime, like, how are the joints? How are the knees, the hips, the ankles? How's, how's everything feel? All good from running. I mean, it's a lot more impact on my body nowadays doing aerial skiing and you know, landing from 30, 40, 50 feet in the air. So the right. running was nothing compared to that, this. Now, the real <laughs> question I think here is how did you, I mean, you're such an accomplished running athlete already. How did you go from running to saying, okay, I want to do this skiing thing. How did, how did that transition occur? So as I said, I kind of grew up doing both. So I was the ski racer, not starting out in aerial skiing by any means. And I was doing both consistently for years and years until I was about 12. And I was at an event in New York City for the Women's Sports Foundation. And I was re receiving the Annika Inspiration Award for my work with my foundation and my athletics. So during the award ceremony, I was recognized. They played a little clip on screen. And then I went up and gave a speech. And afterwards, Emily Cook, who is an Olympic, um, previous Olympic aerial skier, she came up to me and was like, hey, you're pretty tiny to be a ski racer. Why don't you come try my sport of aerials? And I was like, I don't really know what aerials is, but an Olympians invited me to stay with her in Park City. Never been to Park City. That sounds cool. Also, I love the skiing side of things. And I would mess around on a backyard trampoline, but like I could barely do a backflip with my mom holding my shirt. So I had no acrobatic experience, but I was always up for trying new things. So I agreed to come try it later that year. So that was like October of 2011. That next summer, I came out here to Park City, tried aerials into the pool, did my first backflips, landed on my feet after multiple attempts of landing on my head, on my back, on my stomach, every which way. But I somehow still thought it was so much fun and ended up coming back to Park City after that recruitment camp and moving to Park City at just 13 years old so that I could could pursue aerials. Wow. So now did your That's mom awesome. stay in Michigan or did she come with you to Park City? So we actually were living in Oregon at the time. So I lived in, in Michigan until my dad passed away. And then my mom was a single mom raising four kids and she was a full-time physician. And so she just couldn't possibly work the hours that she was working in Michigan. Um, and in Oregon, we'd still have a lot of the opportunities that we had in Michigan with the skiing and the running and everything's so accessible there. So we actually lived in Salem, Oregon for about two years. Um, and so my mom was and brothers were still in Oregon when I moved to Park City. And I moved out here with a host family that we had gotten connected with and, you know, left my family thousands of miles away. Now, how big wow, so she mean, was, she was up there in Cam Haynes territory. Yes. Cameron Haynes territory. Now <laughs> being 13 years old, I mean, how much of that was, kind of like yeah. a shock in a way 
it definitely was tough. I mean, I was, I'm still so close with my brothers and they're my best friends. And um, we have a pretty inseparable bond, especially after our dad passed away. And so having to leave them behind and my mom was pretty difficult. I think that initial first couple months, I was just out here having fun. Um, but then there was definitely times where I got really homesick and, you know, it helped to have um, amazing teammates out here as well as like the host family who kind of took me in as their own and they had two kids. So it was kind of still got that family atmosphere, but there was, you know, nothing like my own family. And I spent hours and hours on FaceTime. And I think I've logged probably an insane amount of hours on FaceTime over the last 10 years. Um, even if we weren't even saying anything, we always just had it running. If we were cooking dinner, whatever we were doing to kind of feel like we were still together. Uh, that is awesome. That is, that is a great thing that technology and technology has been able to yeah. help us all in that way for sure. Um, yeah. Now living in park city, you're 13 years old. You're not yet an Olympian. You're just, you're starting the training process at that age. What did a typical day look like at that level coming in? So even at that level, I mean, it was pretty intense right off the bat because you have to do so many numbers to learn these new tricks. And, you know, those, that first year I was just learning single backflips. So I was doing hundreds and hundreds on water every day, but mind you at this time, I was still also doing the marathons. And so it was pretty crazy. Now looking back, I'm like, I don't know how I would do that now, but I would literally train in the morning for my water ramp training. I'd go up at, you know, seven 30, do my warmups. I'd train on the water ramps for two hours, take a lunch break, do another two hour session. And then I'd come home and have to do like a 10, 15 mile long run. So it was very long days, but it kind of mixed it up for me. And I was like, well, I have my run training and I have my ski training, you know, and they're, they're very yeah. different. Um, but you know, made it work. And as I said, I was just having fun. You're young. You can do a lot more than a lot of people think. Oh, absolutely. how, how did you fit? How did you fit school and all that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot, a lot of time management skills. I actually, um, went to an online high school through Stanford university starting in eighth grade, actually. So I did the last year of middle school technically, and then all through high school. And it was, um, a pretty vigorous program actually, because I had to sit down at exact times during the day. So I had to make sure when I was building my schedule that, you know, I'd still have these times where I could sit down and do my schooling. And then when it came to later on university, like I went to the university of Utah, had the option of doing a lot of online stuff and just graduated last summer um, with a degree in business administration. And so have been a strong believer in continuing my education throughout all this um, because, you know, after you're an athlete, you still have a lot of life to go. And so making sure that was a priority was, was really important for my mom and myself. That is awesome. Yeah. Now when we're talking about marathon training and ski training, obviously they're different worlds. Um, what are some of the training differences when you're training for skiing that, you know, obviously weightlifting and some different things are going to probably be a little bit heavier than they would for marathon running. So how did you balance those two things at the same time? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're seemingly very different sports, but I think doing both actually just helped me become a better all around athlete. And, you know, on the running side of the things, it's obviously a very cardiovascular sport and endurance base. So it's a lot of running, a lot of repetition with that. Um, and then the aerial skiing side of things, it only lasts a couple seconds, the entire sport. 
So there's no endurance involved. So kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. And it's a lot more strength and power based. So we are doing a lot more core and a lot of weightlifting to build that muscle to be able to withstand the impacts of landing from that high up onto water and then onto snow. Um, so very different training physically. But I think one of the cool things is no matter what the sport, it's so mental and especially in aerial skiing and marathons. I mean, there's so much repetition, like in running, you're running for miles and miles and hours at a time. And aerial skiing, even though the actual sport is only a couple seconds long, we have to do so many that it's like hundreds and thousands of the same thing, picking apart those tiny little details. And so that mental endurance and being able to keep pushing through those tough days is really similar to both sports, actually. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. That's just, just, you know, standing back and looking at the two different ones. I mean, you know, obviously with the marathon running, it's more about just getting miles under your feet and then your programming as far as your distances and tapering down and, and things of that nature. But like you said, you know, the speed, the strength, the power out of your legs is really what you're looking for with your aerial stuff to be able to launch and get, you know, a little extra height and then push yourself into your, either your rotations or your flips or whatever it is you're doing. So just, from my background, I can definitely see the dichotomy between the two and how they would, you know, absolutely counter and help each other. Um, you know, going from more of a heavy strength and power based training session to going out and get some miles under your feet, loosening everything up and, and really working on some endurance and stamina out of that. Now, being out in Park City, you know, you're, you're out there with with this group of people. What is what is the camaraderie like? I mean, is, is it competitive or do you generally find, you know, between athletes um, that are competing for a spot to do something big? Um, is there still a lot of stoke? I mean, what's it like? There's definitely a bit of both. I mean, we are a team and we train out here together, but at the same time, it's an individual sport. And so you are competing against each other for these national team spots for these world cups, even Olympic spots. And so there can be times where it gets intense and a little bit competitive, maybe in the winter time, but as a whole, especially in the summer, we are training together out here, pushing each other to be the best. And, you know, even though we're competing against each other within our team, there's also all the other countries that we have to compete against. And that's the majority of the field as well. And so, you know, in the summertime, I've spent more hours in, with you know my teammates and my own family most of the time and so we really you know push each other to be the best that we can be and especially in these last few years it's you know we've got a really strong team dynamic and it's really cool to be able to have fun together and also you know push each other to do bigger tricks whatever it may be right now we have i think more women doing really high dd tricks and dd's degree of difficulty than we have in the past and it's really cool to see that progress in the sport and to be able to you know, get each other through those rough days and encourage each other along the way. And, you know, as I said, I spend more time with these people than I do my own family. And so they really do become almost like another family. Now, yeah, for sure. Okay. How many, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You have a question. And I was, asked, well, I was on to the next question. On to the next one. How many women are on the team competing for how many Olympic spots within an actual Olympic games? That's a great question. Oh, so it depends. There's a whole lot of criteria um, that goes into that. But basically, you have to make the national team first. And then from the national team, we had like eight girls who were vying for a spot. Um, and 
then it cut down to, you know, four as a absolute maximum. And we were able to get um, four in the last Winter Olympics because of all of our good performances from the last two years. Wow. That's awesome. Now, moving into, let's start to talk about the 2022 Olympics in Beijing. When, when you got that official green light to say, hey, you are, you are one of the ones that get to go, what was that emotion like to know that you had achieved that type of feat? I mean, I've got cold chills, honestly, just thinking about because that's that's just such a special thing that so few people get to do. Yeah. It was pretty surreal for sure. I mean, I was had this goal of going to the Olympics since I was a little girl. I never knew if it was going to be in the Summer Olympics or Winter Olympics, but I knew I always wanted to be in the greatest stage in the world competing to be the best. And over the last several years, you know, I had put in so many long hours and I was actually even going for the 2018 Winter Olympics. And that summer before in about August, so Olympics are around February. So in August of 2017, I was actually training into the pool and learning a new trick for the first time. I came to the pool a little bit weird angle and my fist was in front of my face. And when I hit the pool, my fist drove through my face and fractured the entire oh. right side. So I have two titanium plates in my face. Wow. But I was able to recover from that and continue to progress towards that 2018 Winter Olympics. And then in the Olympic qualifiers, just three weeks before the 2018 Winter Olympics, I tore my ACL. So was out for the whole season and that ended my chances of going to that Olympics. And so that was pretty heartbreaking. And then to, you know, have to continue to train for four more years is a daunting task. And especially with, you know, the risk of getting re-injured or then COVID came along. And so, you know, getting to this Olympics was a pretty in, um, insane task just with, you know, the sport in general, but also all the other hurdles. And so for me, getting that call was just very surreal and incredible just getting to go because there were so many hurdles and so many things I'd overcome in the past that, you know, to get that phone call that I had made it was was truly a dream come true. Wow. No, I can and imagine. That's, you know, taking it from being such a little kid and making it all the way there. And that's just, that's absolutely incredible. So yeah. the real question is, because there's a lot of us that have never been there. And what's it like? So you're there, you're in this moment, and you're walking in from opening ceremonies to competing. I mean, what is... What is the stuff that goes on before actually competing? I mean, what is that like? Well, this Olympics was different compared to a lot of other Olympics. And even though it was my first one, just hearing the experiences from other teammates who had been before and other athletes, you know, this wasn't your typical Olympic experience because of COVID. We had so many restrictions and, you know, even the weeks before the Olympics, like I couldn't see my family. Like I couldn't even go and give them a hug before I left to go to China because we were in such strict quarantine because, you know, we didn't want to get sick. And then just because of one positive test, not be able to go to the Olympics. So it was really a scary time um, leading up to it. And so we were just all so excited to get there. And once we got there, um, we were pretty secluded within our Olympic village. We couldn't go out. We couldn't mingle with other people um, just because everything was under strict um, quarantine and rules and stuff there um, because of COVID. But we still got to go to opening and closing ceremonies, which were pretty incredible. And opening ceremonies is one moment I will never forget, you know, walking out with everyone screaming and cheering. And there was a huge silver Olympic rings overhead. 
it was truly mind-boggling and at that moment I was like I have made it um, and getting to see our Olympic site where we would jump for the first time and taking those Olympic jumps um, was was pretty neat even though you know we didn't have the crowds my family couldn't even be there um, so those parts were a little bit tough because you know you have this idea of what you imagine the Olympics is going to be like I've imagined it for years and years since I was a little girl and it wasn't that but it was still this amazing event where all these athletes from around the world come together to compete to be the best and it didn't matter what was going on in the rest of the world you know we had all overcome so much in the last couple of years and you know all of our lives that you know to get to that point was still incredible absolutely now yeah we just, just from tight. sitting back and, and watching you know we could obviously as viewers at home we could we could tell that it was just massive difference in terms of you know spectators and and people in the stands and and getting to cheer on the athletes and stuff like that than what it typically is so it, i could imagine as an athlete it was a much different experience than what anybody had either experienced before or, or you know what they imagined they would experience for the first time um but hopefully this next time around it's uh it's back to normal for you guys yeah that's what all my family is already they're all on board too they're like all right 2026 italy we are all <laughs> going yeah that'll be sure um, so, you know, with athletes, we, you hear a lot of consciously and subconsciously and, you know, different things that go on in the winning mindset. Um, but when you're coming up to compete in an event like that, how hard is it to keep that subconscious mind? How does hard is it to keep the adrenaline from going into a conscious mind to be subconsciously and, and go out and just handle the business? That's a great question. And I think a lot of it comes from the training and, you know, having that confidence built up from the repetition that we get from doing hundreds and hundreds of, of those jumps and training. So when it comes to competition, it's really about, you know, doing everything just like you've done hundreds of times in training. But of course, you know, it's hard to keep that exact same mindset when you're like at the Olympics and there's a ton of pressure. And, you know, most of the time at normal world cups and stuff, then you have fans and you have media and all this different stuff. And so it can become a bit overwhelming at times. And, you know, I'd love to tell you the like exact rule of how to do it perfect every time. And if I had that, you know, I would win gold medal every single time. Um, and I think, you know, that's the crazy thing about sports is, you know, you can do everything right. And, um, sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. And so we're all just trying to figure out and it's, that's why everything is so mental and, you know, working with the sports psych has been huge with me this summer and, you know, building up that mentality to figure out, okay, what am I going to do to, you know, be in that right mindset because I can have everything physically, but also it's so mental and across all these different sports and figuring out how I can be the calmest or, you know, the most ready at the top of the jump. Yeah. Sp speaking to the mental side of things, you know, I know you mentioned some injuries prior to the 2018 Olympics, ACL being a big one. I mean, obviously the facial, you know, fracture and, and things like that was tough as well. How did that affect you mentally? What was the physical recovery like the time frame to where you could get back in the pool and, and start training, you know, on a normal basis under your normal routine? The no ACL is typically, you know, a pretty lengthy recovery for some folks, but obviously with the Olympic athlete, you would expect the time to be shortened just a little bit. Yeah. So with my face, I was actually back training in the pool only three weeks after. So that was a pretty quick turnaround for how serious of a surgery it was and everything, but I was able to, you know, have a great team of 
of doctors and, and stuff that was able to get me back. And I had a custom made mask that I now wear on snow all the time um, to protect those plates in my face. But the knee was a lot longer process. I mean, that was over six months. And, you know, there's always that little fear in the back of your head of like getting injured. And it is a very high risk sport. I mean, we are flying 30, 40, 50 feet in the air, depending on what jump we're hitting and what tricks we're doing and things like that. And so it's, you know, it can be pretty intense and there's always that risk. Um, but that's why we do so much training into the pool first to be able to get those numbers and, and making sure we have that strength so that our body can withstand the impact. Yeah. It takes, you know, obviously building strength around the joint and the, you know, the tendons, ligaments and the musculature and all that just helps insulate that joint a little bit more and to try and protect it from injury, which I know you guys, you know, focus on training the way you do. But. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like from the mental side of things, you know, that's one of the challenge too, is, you know, in this sport, it is an extreme sport and figuring out, okay, how am I going to be calm at the top, but also ready to go. And, uh, a lot of people, you know, look at us flipping through the air and they're like, I don't know how these people do it. And, you know, to be honest, sometimes we look at it and we're like, how do we do this? Like, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's all building on foundations and starting small. You know, I didn't immediately start by doing triple twisting, double back flips. You know, I started right. by a single straighter off the jump and then building on that. Yeah. It's now, just the structure of goal setting, you know, between micro goals, getting you to, you know, larger macro goals and, and just progressing as you can and, and, uh, focusing on, you know, new skills and, and strength milestones or, you know, whatever it may be to get you to where you want to be. Absolutely. Now, when you're talking about, we're talking about the mindset and different things, who are some of the athletes that you look to as inspiration, um, as you've come up, you know, who do you, who do you tend to draw from? I don't think there's one person in particular. I mean, I've had so many influences throughout all the different sports that it's really cool to be able to see how each um, react to different scenarios and how each handle the different pressures and, and competitions in various sports. So like growing up in the triathlon world, you know, I was fortunate to be amongst people in the Ironman community who are doing these crazy long races. And, you know, I was able to, um, interact with people like Craig Alexander and Rinda Carfrey, who were um, amazing Ironman athletes and Ironman world champions, and to be around that. And then coming into the sport, you know, having like Emily Cook take me under her wing, and then seeing a lot of girls, especially in the last couple of years, progress to doing triples on snow and, and seeing those people push the sport is a huge inspiration um, for me to be able to go after all these high degree of difficulty tricks. Absolutely. That's. Have you, uh, on the running, on the running side of things, I know you've done, you know, a lot of triathlons and marathons. Have you ever done any of the ultras at all? No, I actually really wanted to, and I was planning on getting into maybe some ultra, um, races right around the time I was doing the marathons, but then that was around the same time I started doing aerials. And so I kind of was doing both the running and aerials for several years. And then once got closer to getting the chance at getting to the Olympics kind of mainly focused on the aerials. Um, so I've been mainly focused on that for the last set of years and years. Yeah. The ultra, I can't imagine the ultras or something. <laughs> do you see, an do you see maybe animal. after, after you're done with the Olympics, do you think that you might go back and check that ultra box? We'll see. I mean, I definitely think someday I will probably do an Ironman for sure. Um, we'll see about the ultras and if I get back into that, but um, my mom has done several Ironmans and we always wanted to do one together. And 
I was too young when I was actually racing triathlons because you had to be 18 to do Ironmans and even half right. Ironmans. So I was too young when I was, you know, in the triathlon world, but um, for sure I could see myself going back and at least doing one um, just to, to get that Ironman check off. So yeah. when you go back and you think about mom running, what is one of the, what is one of the Ironman races that you remember her doing and that stands out to you? Um, probably the most memorable one for me was actually her first Ironman. So her first one was in Lake Placid, New York. And, um, this one was right around the time my dad was going through a lot of cancer treatment. And so she was originally planning on doing this race. And then my dad got diagnosed and was going through all this treatment stuff. And so she wasn't going to do it, but my dad was like, no, you've already done the training. Like you got to go do it. And so even though she had then not done training for like weeks and weeks beforehand, she was like, all right. So my youngest brother Ruger and I went with my mom and my other two brothers stayed back with my dad to watch on the live stream um, from the Mayo Clinic Hospital. And so I got to run across the finish line with my mom. This is back when Ironmans and they, Ironmans would still allow the kids to run across the finish line. Mm -hmm. So there was this waiting area that I had to wait in around the 16 hour mark. I think I began to wait in this area and the 17 hours is the cutoff for Ironmans. And if you don't get across that finish line, no medal, no announcement, nothing. You are not an <laughs> Ironman. You don't get that title. And oh, wow. it was like 16 hours and 30 minutes go by. My mom is still not there. It's like cold, it's rainy, it's dark. I'm like, oh my gosh, she better make it. Another like five, 10 minutes pass by. It's 16 <coughs> hours and 40 minutes. I'm like, there's no way she's not going to make it. <laughs> and finally at like 1645, she comes running around the corner. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank goodness. I was like, I cannot imagine. And so we got to run across the finish line together with 15 minutes to spare. Oh my wow. gosh, that is so awesome. So yeah. now it's time, time for this part of this show. We call it five questions. So basically what's going to happen is we're going to play some really cheesy music right now <laughs> that's not the I'm best not song here. i've ever picked let's try I'm something here different. you didn't hear that one that's probably a good no. thing this one's probably better i don't know anyway five questions so these are random okay strangest thing you ate in beijing <laughs> thing. I had some avocado ice cream. Avocado ice cream. Avocado ice cream. Can't imagine yeah, that with much flavor at all. It kind of just tasted like creamy, like banana vanilla ice cream, to be honest. <laughs> Not too bad then. Not too bad. I could do that. Okay. Next question. Strangest fan encounter oh strangest fan encounter that's a tough one um i mean one encounter that kind of just comes to mind it's not that strange but um when i was in moscow uh two years ago i had won my first world cup and there were two little girls who came running up to me after the competition were like, we love you, we love you. And these were just these, like two random girls in the middle of Russia. And I was like, so confused why they were coming up to me. I was like this American <laughs> athlete. Um, but 
yeah, it was not, that's not strange, but you know, it's the only one I could think of off the spot here <laughs> uh, as being just like a fan encounter. That was like a little weird. I was like a little taken back, but obviously like super um, amazed and, and loved it. Well, a, a sub question to that. Have you ever had to autograph anything strange? <laughs> oh, nothing too strange. I mean, most of the time it's like t-shirts or postcards. I think one time a, uh, someone had me sign like their arm. That's not bad. All right. No, that's, that's not bad at all. I've never had to sign anybody's arm. <laughs> no. Signed a couple. Nobody wants my John. Nobody wants my John Hancock. <laughs> Signed anyway. a couple shirts one time. That's weird. <laughs> but uh, okay. Next question. I lost my train of thought on that one. That's usually how this goes, by the way. You got anything, Zach? I lost. It. You made me lose my train of thought. I had it. Now it's gone. Um. Amateur podcast hour with Chad and Zach. Yeah, I got to pull it off the top of the dome here. What's some place in the world that you would like to go ski that you have not been? Ooh, I'd love to go ski in like New Zealand or Australia. I haven't been to any of those, but I think it'd be super cool to be able to go ski in the morning and then go down to the water and, and surf in the afternoon. Yeah, that'd be what Australia is not typically someplace you think when you think of snow, but I know they have areas that do get pretty chilly down there. I guess that leads me to my question. Which place do you wish to go back to most that you've already been? Ooh. Yeah. I'd say also New Zealand, surprisingly. So I've never skied in New Zealand, but when I went there for the marathon, I went to Great Barrier Island. And that was one of the most beautiful places and the people were amazing. And I always said, you know, if I couldn't live in the US, um, New Zealand would definitely be a, an amazing option because it was just really incredible and love to go back to there. Yeah, that's there a place have. a lot of folks go to hunt that I think would be a lot of a lot of fun to go over there and visit for sure. Oh, and it's beautiful. Yeah. And just like that, five questions is ended. <laughs> Congratulations, you survived, and I got to hit the button. Five questions doesn't feel the same without the uh, the strange music in the background. I didn't remember <laughs> what song it was. In all honesty, I it was feeding the ducks. It's actually this one. I didn't hear it last time. It's this. One. I don't hear that one. You don't hear that I don't one. Hear that one. I don't hear it. You need to get your headphones fixed. <laughs> I can hear you. It's weird. It's just weird music. And this is what, yeah. so we use StreamYard for all you viewers out there that are thinking about starting a podcast. We use StreamYard here at Orion Podcast and it's got all these fun features and yeah. So you just get to pick what they have. And since it's YouTube friendly, we have to use what they have. Um, so back to the real podcast, back to the real talk. Um, aside from the Olympics, um, what are some of the other interests that you have away from from the sport to clear your mind? So I do a whole wide range of things, to be honest. I love being outdoors and active. So anything related to that, I'm totally into. Like growing up in Michigan, you know, I get to go back every couple of weeks and help my grandparents out on the farm and, you know, go boating and jet skiing and wakeboarding. Um, and tubing behind the jet skis with my brothers. So all that stuff is super fun to be able to kind of decompress on the weeks off. 
sometimes get, you know, thrown around a little bit on the tubes, but doing that and going for hikes and mountain bike rides and playing pickleball here in Park City um, is always a ton of fun. And then my family is big into hunting and fishing. And so um, a lot of the meat that we do eat is stuff that we've got ourselves. And so usually um, in the fall, I go elk hunting with my family. Um, and, you know, last summer I got to go up to Alaska and went salmon fishing and, and fishing for rockfish and halibut and caught 110 pound halibut. Oh, wow. um, and so, you know, that's a big part of my family wow. was that hunting and fishing side of things. And, you know, my dad and mom were always big hunters in their families. And so it's kind of a, a family thing and a big adventure as well. Now, where, uh, where do you go ahead? Go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. You're, I think we're going the same way. The you challenges of a streaming podcast, but yes, the, uh, where where do you guys typically go elk hunt and are there any hunts that you would like to go on that you have not been on yet um i haven't been on very many to be honest so i'd love to go on some in other states the only two places or actually three places i've hunting hunted are in michigan and here in utah and in colorado so i've done some archery i haven't been successful yet i only went for the first time archery last um, fall or two falls ago here in Utah, um, but have gone for years up to the flat tops in Colorado. Um, we go up to a okay. drop camp where we're fending for ourselves for 10 days with my mom and brothers. That's the best. That, that is, is awesome. the best. Now we've got a question from the viewer audience, Bridget Vallette. She would like to know, is there some sort of wild trick that you're working on at the moment? In fairness, any trick would be wild in her book. <laughs> So I've kind of been working on new stuff all summer. So um, this summer I've been working on doing triples. And so this is the biggest jump that we have in our sport. And uh, most of the time it's dominated by the men doing these tricks. And so I've been working on tricks called lay tuck tuck, a lay tuck full and lay full fulls. So mainly working on getting a lot of numbers in this summer and then getting ready, not this year, but the following year to do those on snow. And so hoping to, you know, get those tricks ready for the next Olympics. And so that's kind of been a big project this summer is, is I did those first triples on water and now getting a bunch of new numbers and kind of going through all these new tricks. So it's been a big summer for me. Here's, here's a good question. I feel like how long does it take that progression from going from the water to the actual snow? So we usually do water ramping from May till October. So it's a long time of water ramping. And we pretty much do three weeks on, one week off, three weeks on, one week off and do that all through the whole summer. And then we have like a month and a half where we don't have water ramp training, but we also don't have snow yet. Um, and so in that time, we're doing a lot of trampoline work. And so we have a bungee system where we're in a harness and there's bungees attached to it. So we can do those doubles and those triples in the bungee um, without skis, of course, but just to kind of get those motions and get that repetition while we don't have access to jumps. And then usually in middle of November or early November, we head up to Finland. And so that'll be like our first trip this year as we head up to Finland to the darkness for about a month, three, four weeks and do our first on snow camp and world cup there. Oh, wow. wow. That'll be a, that'll be a good one. So speaking of the mental side of things, how is it throwing some of those new tricks to the snow for the first time? It definitely gets the nerves going for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, 
it depends on if you're doing like a new trick off the same jump or your new jump. Like I remember the first time I hit the double for the first time on snow and I was terrified, but I was also so excited to do it. So I was like up at the top, you know, mouth was so dry, like heart just racing. And you just have to rely back to that training, find those techniques to calm yourself down, take those deep breaths, and then just turn those skis. Cause once you turn the skis, you're pretty committed. Um, it's yeah. just doing that initial hop turn that sometimes is the scariest and getting that first one over with. Um, so that was for sure. One of the scariest ones is doing those first doubles on snow. Um, and then from there, it's kind of building on the tricks and, you know, like doing first triples on snow, I'm sure will be absolutely terrifying, but also exhilarating at the same time. Just now we've got another question, that question from the audience. Miss Jean Wilson would like to know, are you able to do unheard of tricks in your dreams? So I guess what she's actually <laughs> asking is, can you make up your own tricks? <laughs> uh, well, you can't make up your own tricks. So in our sport, it's basically kind of like gymnastics and diving. So it's different variations of the same movements added on top of each other. So like on double, there's a trick called the lay full. So it's you're straight in your first flip doing a backflip. And then the second flip has a full twist or a 360 while doing that backflip. And then you can do like a triple that's called a lay full full, which I've been working on the last couple of days. And this basically means you're straight in the first flip and then you do a 360 in the second flip. And then you're doing another flip with another 360. So it's all different combinations of anywhere between one and three flips. And then you can do anywhere between one and three twists in every single uh, flip. So it kind of just builds on each other. And then we're judged based on the form in the air, your, your takeoff and your landing. And then all these things are multiplied by a degree of difficulty. And so that's how we're judged on our performances. Wow. How uh, back to, well, new tricks and difficulty and things like that. Do you have any tricks where you're going down switch backwards and, and starting that that way? Cause that not, to me would be <laughs> not switch for us. Cause if, if you saw our jumps, you uh, would not want to hit them switch. And because okay. our trajectory is so high up um, most of the time we, you know, you don't want to land backwards and our landing is so steep that our tricks are all meant to go backwards off the jumps. Like, when I first started out in the sport, I did front flips off the single. Um, so mm -hmm. that's one time where you'd go forward off the jump, but they are so steep that then um, just the way the jump wants to take you, you're not going to want to go into it, switch or. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> now. So one of the big questions that we always like to ask our guests is where do you imagine yourself after the Olympic days are, are past and and you you're ready to move on what's the goal what's the next goal that's a work in progress for sure i mean that's why i've continued my education over the years and and have a huge passion for the business world so um potentially see myself doing something in that um also took some law classes in school and had a big interest in that um and you know figuring out with all these different connections with different companies you know what i could do also very passionate about nutrition and health. Um, so I think I have a lot of options with that in the more near future, kind of outside of the skiing and stuff. I'm also um, just finishing my first book. So I've been writing a book over the last several months in the last year, and it's going to come out in just a few months here, actually middle of October. So it's called Winter's Rise. So it's all about my story 
um, you know, through dealing with the loss of my dad, running a marathon on all seven con continents and accomplishing this goal of, of getting to the Olympics and, you know, how I dealt with the loss of my dad throughout that, throughout that and continue to honor him, but also, you know, find a place of personal healing and also want to, you know, encourage other kids to go after their dreams, no matter what they are, if they're going to the Olympics, if they're, you know, running in their middle school cross country championships, um, making some art project, whatever it may be. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, talk finding, finding that therapeutic outlet is a, a big deal for a lot of folks. So. And when you talk about kids, I mean, obviously it, with social media and the reach that even average Joe has today in today's society, um, what do you want when, in the, when that little girl out there finds your Facebook or she sees you on TV and or comes to your Instagram, what's the message that you want her to, to feel from you? I think the biggest thing is to dream big and work hard towards those goals. Surround yourself with people who believe in you, your friends, your family, whoever it may be, because there's always going to be the naysayers out there. There's going to be people who tell you it can't be done, that you shouldn't do it. You should give up. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're loving it and you're having fun, then go after those goals and, and, and chase after them. Absolutely. That's, that's a quality answer. Um, yeah, I'd say she's done that. <laughs> absolutely. Above and beyond. I think you have, yeah. you know, it was pretty amazing. I can remember showing you to my daughter when, um, she was younger, she's 22 now. So, you know, I can remember showing her to you. She was actually starting to run um, cross country and different things like that. And it was, that was neat for her. You know, there's another girl out there that's like her doing these things. And, you know, obviously she didn't go to the Olympics, but, you know, she's, she enjoyed running um, and she loved it. And she followed you quite closely, actually. So that was neat. Um, but we definitely would like to thank you for being on our show tonight. Um, it has Absolutely. been our pleasure, um, to have you on and, you know, it's not every day that we get to sit down with an Olympic athlete like yourself, a well-accomplished athlete like yourself. Um, you know, tell the folks, thank the people that you need to thank <laughs> and tell the people where to find you on social media. So those that don't and follow you can. And your foundation. Yes. And your foundation. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me on. I mean, I really appreciate it. And, you know, even though, um, you know, I have my story, I think it, it's really cool to be able to listen to other people's stories. And and I'm just honored that I get to share with you guys because we we all have our stories and um, everyone can follow my journey on like my Instagram at Winter Vanecki, also on my website, wintervanecki.com. They can check out my upcoming book on there. They can follow along my journey and on wintervanecki.com. It'll also link to my foundation team winter. That's awesome. Very nice. Well, we are going to drop you down below for just a second and we're going to close this thing out and we'll be right back with you. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, winter. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for being on. That well, was a good show. I need to up my training. Yes, you do. <laughs> I, I, feel lazy. I, I, I feel lazy now. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes that happens. Yeah. No, that, that was well accomplished. That was a good one. We should have asked her. Hold on. 
<laughs> hey, so when you do your when you launch your book, will you come back on? Absolutely. There we go. Yeah, That's book a, book to will be a stop on the book tour. We'll be All a right, stop on the book. You'll probably have to read it to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can I can give you a little sample page. How about that? There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. We'll be back. We got her. Funny, we got her on video funny. now. Um, yeah. But no, that was uh, that was one of my favorite shows so far too. I mean, we've had a lot of great guests, a lot of yeah. inspirational stories, as we talked about in the last episode. Um, and it's just amazing what well, people can do when they set their mind to it. It it is, and it's super cool. You know, the Olympics or something. We're always, I've always at least been super into here. You know, anytime it's on, I, I pretty well keep it on the TV twenty four seven. Um, if there's Absolutely. events going on and especially with the girls now, you know, them being able to see folks and, and what they can do and, and the different things they can get into. And it's, it's just cool to see everyone's hard work paying off. So yep. and to it's be good able to, to sit down with someone and <clears throat> to be able to sit down with someone and hear their story from the very start and how they got there is pretty cool. Yep. Absolutely. And, and, you know, to see someone like winter that gives your kids a positive influence out there when there's so many negative influences out there in the world today. I mean, that is huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah, for sure. So, well, guys, we appreciate you listening to us tonight um, for the Orion podcast. We will be back. When will we be back? Hey, we'll be back on the 6th of September. If Zach can make it back home on time. Um, yeah. From Indiana. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we might, we might have our next guest. We're not going to give it away just yet. Cause it's not I have something up our set. sleeve though. No, it's, it's not a hundred percent set in stone, but it could be huge. It could be huge. It could be, it could be huge. Could be a good one too. More, <laughs> more winning mindset. Yeah. And uh, another great story. If, uh, if all, all things prevail, but I yeah, would say if we most can, likely, if we, can, if we can string these two together, it'll be tough to beat. The month of September, we will definitely have a very cool guest. And I'm going to throw this out there. You don't know about this. So, uh -oh. Orion Podcast, Orion Podcast. So, September is my birth month. And since this is part of the Orion Coolers deal, I'm I'm going to throw something out there. Oh, even Orion Coolers don't know I'm doing this. I'm just going to do it on my own. <laughs> we're giving away an we're Orion gonna, Cooler. We're going to get we're going to get fired. <laughs> yep, probably. I'm giving away an Orion Cooler next month for my birth month. So, we are going to give that cooler away on let's see I like it. I like it. Uh, yeah. So the sixth will be our next one. The twentieth. We're gonna give it away on my birthday. We're gonna give it that away works. on my birthday. Yeah. Even better. I didn't even have that planned. It just worked out. So we're gonna give it away <laughs> a Orion cooler, thirty-five quart Orion cooler, on September twentieth to one of our listeners that is listening to us live on the YouTube. So if you're listening right now, be here for the live stream September twentieth. Make a comment. Let us know you're here. And at the end of the episode, we're going to give one away. Live. That's it. Live. Right here. On this. It's on. At random. On anyway, like Donkey Kong. On like Donkey Kong. Thanks for watching. We'll see you guys next time. Check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcast, yada, yada, yada. Podbean. Wherever you get your podcast. Podbean. Yeah. We're out. <laughs>